Welcome, guys, to the World XP Podcast. This is episode number 17. Uh, this is a little bit different episode from the normal ones you might see on the channel. It's not a one-on-one -on -one conversation, but I figured that given that it's uh, election time, uh, we would have some, some people with differing opinions and political views across the spectrum and kind of get together and bounce ideas off each other. I've uh, had several conversations with each of you individually over various like social media, texting. Will, you've been on the podcast before. Um, Devin, we've known each other for, for quite some time through soccer. Theo, our relationship has been pretty much social media based. You've helped. You got Quentin on, on the podcast, which I'm very appreciative of that. And you've reached out with several other contacts and we hope to get to get some of those guys on soon. Um, and then Sana, obviously mutual friends from from different places. And so we've all kind of converged at this place where the elections happened. People seem to be um, up in arms about different things for, for good reason, obviously. And so um, today I want to kind of have a, a civil conversation and, and see kind of where, where everybody's coming from, right? So I, I see a lot of things on different, from different people in different places, or it seems like, how could you possibly think this way? So we're going to try and figure that out today is why certain, why people think, think the way they do. And, um, and so, yeah, with that, I think we can go around and, and introduce, introduce you guys and we can get started. So Will, we can start with you. All right. If you guys don't know who I am, I'm, I'm Will Graham. I've got a good friend of Erickson, Devin. Um, I've been obviously been on the show before. If you guys don't know, don't know, but, um, yeah, uh, I would say, uh, I'm kind of leaning towards the kind of like conservative libertarian side of things. Um, I'm kind of willing to be open to certain debates and talking points that kind of like a rational kind of, uh, I guess the discussions, if you would say, um, I guess another thing would be, uh, I just kind of want to kind of learn from other people's like views and perspectives on government and politics and whatnot. Uh, and, um, yeah, I'm just kind of really excited to kind of, kind of get into it and then, you know, learn from some new things and, you guys uh, different viewpoints so awesome what got you into politics Will? um honestly i never was into politics i was kind of more of like um i was like really deep into sports i didn't really care about what went on around me i had i had no idea like what was going on i didn't really care much but um i guess when i started really getting into it after um i would say right after the 2016 election when uh, trump and hillary went for uh you know the presidential candidates um, that's kind of when I started getting into it more. I kind of did, you know, did my own research, kind of learned like different things about government, politics, and um, you know, me being raised a Christian, I kind of like leaned towards one way. But um, from my understanding, from you know, becoming a Christian and kind of seeing how our government works, like things change. So you kind of get different viewpoints and different opinions and different insights to certain things. So I mean, I'm always willing to you know learn new things and you know, accept different truths and all, all that different kinds of stuff. But, uh, you know, I'm just really open to kind of hearing, you know, people's different perspectives on how they see government and how they see politics work, you know, awesome. within, uh, within things. So definitely. Thank you. Theo. All right. My name is Theophilus Felder. Um, can you hear me? Okay. Yep. Yeah. You okay. Can. Uh, my name is Theophilus Felder. Um, I know, uh, Eric, um, through, social media basically i've helped them piece together some uh interviews sports related rugby i'm also a rugby player um occupation i work for a community college uh, police department germanic community college if that sounds familiar to anybody um so 
it's kind of an interesting situation I'm in currently um, with the whole election thing going on, being African-American male, and then working in law enforcement. So uh, it's been quite uh, the experience for me personally, um, how I got into politics. So I think it was my senior year of high school. I interned with uh, Ken Cuccinelli during his campaign for governor. Uh, that was back in, I believe, 2011, 2012 timeframe. Um, so that's what really uh, grabbed my attention um, as far as politics. I, through word of mouth, ended up applying, got the job, worked with him, got to ask personal questions, got to figure out what he does on a daily basis, um, and get to really see what a campaign looks like, because I didn't have a single clue of what any kind, kind of political campaign um, looked like. Uh, and then later on, and it's kind of been off and on for me, so later on during my time at West Point, um, I think it was my sophomore year there, I was in an American politics course during the time uh, President Trump was running for office. Um, I remember we all met in um, one of the uh, classrooms that night on election night to uh, watch the results and everything and I don't know. I had mixed feelings about it. Um, I wasn't a Hillary supporter. I wasn't a Trump supporter. I was right there in the middle. And round two, I'm back right in the middle, you know, and I'll explain that a little later as we start to dig into questions. But that's my spill. Sounds that's good. Sounds good. Sana? Hi, my name is Sana. Um, I'm from Arlington, Virginia. Um, so obviously, Eric and I know each other through mutual friends. Um, I guess I'm leaning more on the left. I immigrated here in 1995 with my family. So I have a lot of perspectives and opinions on that. Um, I got into politics really just through my family, pretty political family, it was always brought up around the dinner table. Um, I took a lot of history and political science classes early in college, kind of thinking that was a direction I wanted to go, um, but really didn't really you know, see a career field for me there. So I, I moved away, but I'm currently in graduate school at Wake Forest studying counseling. There's a lot of, I guess, internal drivers that people associate politics with, right? Your own beliefs. And so that's really interwoven to a lot of what I'm learning now. And so I just wanted to join to share my own opinion, but also just things that I hear and feel from that perspective as well. Awesome. Devin? Um, so name is Devin. I, um, I know Eric and Will from UMW when I went there for a little while. Um, I really got into politics, I guess, like when I was younger, because I was always like really into history. I was the kid that wake up Saturday morning instead of watching cartoons, I turn on the history channel to see like what's going on. And you can't really have history without politics. You can't really have politics without history. So I really got involved with politics and like will i was raised in a black christian household so a lot of those conservative values and morals were placed on me as a child at an early age and as i got older and around the like i was a the more people that i was around the more i started to like kind of form my own opinion and i ended up going to the left um because just stuff that i was seeing and just the way that i personally felt about a lot of things i'm now currently a uh, firefighter EMT, but I'm a medic on a construction site now. But so I've been able to be around a lot more people and understand a little bit more about how people operate and where their political agenda lies based on their demographic and their household. So I think I have 
I enjoy learning about people and their and their beliefs and having open dialogue about it. Awesome. Sounds good. So glad to have you all here. Uh, I think we can we can thank Sana for this first question that we'll throw at you to kind of to kind of kick the ball rolling. Um, and that basically is I think all of a lot of the differences boiled boils down to what you guys believe or what you believe the role of government should be in society or individual lives or or just in, in general. So we can start with that and then we'll kind of move into more um, current and relevant. Uh, well, not that that's not relevant, but more current topics as, as we continue the discussion, but I think this is a good place to, to start us off. So Will, for you, what's the role of government in both the individual life within society and what, if you were to kind of summarize your feelings on, on the role of government, what would it, what would it be? Um, for me, I think it's like, the, you know, the fine line between, you know, the people working, you know, above us within government and you have the people that are under, so you have the, the average middle-class American. So I, I think it kind of boils down to, you have to have that perfect balance. You don't want to have one have too, too much power over the other. So I, I think it's, you know, just, you know, judicial, executive, and legislative sides of government, they're all, they're all there to ensure the prosperity of all Americans. Doesn't matter if you're on the left side, if you're on the right side, it's just, it's, it's there to ensure the prosperity and, you know, to keep people, you know, at, a, not, I wouldn't say like at level, but because there's different types of, you know, classes of people that were, you know, that are in America right now. But I would just say just to kind of, you know, have a fair share for everyone, you know, where it's not, it's not too easy, not too hard. It's just, it's just right for everyone. So I think, um, yeah, I just think government for me is just, you know, just a system that ensures the you know, prosperity of all Americans. That's just what I think it should be and what it should be going to. So. So sounds, sounds good. Devin? I agree with Will 100%. I definitely think that our government was put in place by the people to help us and to support us whatever with whatever we may feel like we need or want at the time. But at the same time, they're there to make sure that we still follow their law, follow the laws and make the laws for us that they feel like they think our country should, our country's morals and our basis should stand upon Sana? Yeah, so I think it boiled down to protecting individual citizens. So I think early on it was against too much power from monarchy and being taxed um, at an unfair rate. Then it sort of moved into, all right, we're industrializing. There's a lot of just welfare issues against children and being overworked. So we put in a lot of regulation around you know, what's a fair work week, right? And then from there, um, looking at protecting citizens against um, things like FCC, or sorry, not FCC, but um, looking at really like food and drugs and how that affects an individual citizen. And then from there, you know, domestic and international threats. I think now we're looking at a lot of breaches of, of trust and, um, data mining and what's the future of people collecting our information. So I think there's a lot to be said about what those levels of protection are and making sure that nobody oversteps that right level of protecting or, you know, over overseeing, right? So you don't, you don't want them to have too much information. You don't want them to be overprotecting because that stifles like the free economy, but 
you also do need some type of regulation there to make sure that your houses aren't falling apart, our food isn't contaminated. So I think, again, balance is really important. Agreed. Theo? Well, great answers to everyone. You pretty much said what I was going to say, I mean, in a nutshell. But um, what I will add is the uh, concept of um, influence when you get to the legislative branch. And this is something I'm just waiting to see and go, yes, finally, I can get behind that. Um, you're going to have to be able to work with the opposite party. I don't care who you are. You're going to have to find some level of compromise for yourself and for your constituents that voted you or elected you into office. And then you're going to have to come across the table and say, hey, all right, we need to do this for all Americans, not just for Republicans, not just for Democrats. We got to do this for everybody because it's a team effort, obviously. But I think a lot of politicians forget that, especially when they're running for office and they're all about shaming the other uh, candidate or building themselves up to be better than the other candidate or saying, saying just it's a bunch of just negativity, too much negativity for me, honestly. And that's what it boils down to for me every election. It's like, okay, well, again, we're picking between two folks that are pretty much saying the same thing about each other and it's all negative. Like, what can I take out of this positive for myself? So I, I think the power of influence for um, the legislative branch is the biggest issue I see um, when it comes to balance of power. Sure. I, I want, so all of you guys touched on the protection of citizens. Um, and what I want to get into here is the level of sort of, Sana, you touched on it with, the, with sort of the, the welfare rights as we get into industrialization and, and things of that matter. At what point, and you mentioned this as a lot of you mentioned this as well about overstepping and finding the right balance. What for you guys is sort of the right balance of government as far as we'll say we'll, we'll use healthcare as an example um i know a lot of like free healthcare has been thrown out like that term um at, at what point because the other side would say well it shouldn't be employee provided at all it should be a total free market and you should take the middleman the insurance companies out of it and you should be able to kind of have the free market and the competition would drive prices down whereas the, the left would say, well, if the government were, were to provide it, then you wouldn't be uh, broke every time you went to the hospital because they're charging these exorbitant prices. And so I want to get your guys' kind of feelings on using, using that example of what, what do you guys think the right sort of solution for a, for a problem like this would be? Because I think all of us can agree that we shouldn't be going broke every time we go to the hospital or, or, or insulin shouldn't be however expensive it is. I know I've got dollars a vial. Yeah. What? Yeah. Right. That too much. Right. I think we, we can all agree, but we, what we disagree on, maybe not all of us here specifically, but generally the population disagrees on what exactly do we do about that? And so what, what would the role of government be in, in this solving this sort of problem? Um, and how would you go about doing that? We're going to start with, we're going to start with you, Sana. Yeah, I think a government funded option, not the only option, but one of the options actually helps with that competition. So I think when you're looking at the different insurance companies, they, for the most part, have similar rates. They're striking some type of deal with your organization if you, ha if you have some type of program through you know, where you work. 
Um, but those rates are still pretty high. And if you don't have an option available from where you work, like why not have a government option where it would essentially serve as an additional competitor for a private organization. So just if you look at how many people were uninsured before um, Obamacare, whatever you want to call it now, it was at an alarming rate. We've seen that rate go down, but we've also seen the opposite effect where some people were driven out of the insurance plans that they had because the government put in these sort of regulations that private insurance wasn't enough. It wasn't covering enough. Um, so I think they just need to go back to the table there and say, like, if you want to have whatever minimal plan you had through your private organization, go ahead and do that. If you want to have the government funded option, it shouldn't prevent you from having either. I think both should be on the table and hopefully as they continue to work on Obamacare, it'll continue to just get more competitive and be able to cover more. But I, I think you can, if you can opt out of Obamacare and you can go with a private option, then that should be something that you should be able to consider. Absolutely. Will or, or Theo, do you have anything to, to kind of say to that? I know, Will, when we talked before, when many of our conversations before, mm. we've kind of been, um, or you at least have been on the side of opposing it from the standpoint of quality of care. It would be like going into the DMV of a, of a doctor's office, and we all know the DMV lines are forever. Um, do you have anything to, to kind of add or, or say to that? Yeah, I mean, for, for government-funded healthcare, I, I would think that, would, that should only apply to certain individuals, you know, that are, you know, that are still kind of they're struggling or they're, they're in a certain predicament or there's some type of circumstance where they re require that. But um, for me, I would just say, um, like, when you have, have government-funded healthcare, nothing's ever really, you know, nothing's ever free. Like, it's all, there's always some type of pricing for it or something gets taxed or it comes out of someone's paycheck or something. It, there's, always a, there's always a trick to it. So you have, always have to ask the questions like, well, if you have government funded healthcare, for instance, like, are you going to be able to have, you know, be able to see the positions you want and, you know, get the healthcare that you want. And also um, uh, the rates and the, I guess the premiums, like what are those going to look like? Are they going to be, you know, super, you know, super affordable and, you know, all the other costs that come with, you know, healthcare, when you go to like hospital bill and stuff like that, like what's, you know, what's going to go, what's going to go on with that? Like, there's not really a plan. You just say, oh, like free, you know, free healthcare, but you're just not really a plan afterwards because like it's not something that we're used to because we're always used to the, you know, the free market type of healthcare system that we have that's in play now. But um, another thing is, uh, the, the big thing for me is just like, if it's, if it's government funded, how is it going to get funded? Because nothing's ever really free, especially in the system that we have now. So that would just be my biggest question because I'm not opposed to it at all, but you know, you, you gotta have you have to raise those questions because you have to know like you want to know what's going on you know where the money's coming from and if it's coming out of your pocket it's going to be a concern you know for everybody and you know just a typical average american taxpayer so Devin, do you have a, a sort of solution to that to the to the questions that he brings up or anything to add to, to what sana said so i definitely agree that there needs to be something done in regards to having another option and a more affordable option for for people with their health care like what sauna was saying like if the if obamacare that people were actually 
if once it has more time in the actual pipeline and gets more funding and more people actually are on it, I feel like it will it'll prove itself that it actually works. And I don't know, it's it's just it's 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 tricky for me because I can see both sides. I understand that if we have universal health care, things will end up being like Canadian like Canadian healthcare where like you know everybody has access to it but the wait times are going to be ridiculously long and if everyone I know I was born in the Fredericksburg area and I know how Mary Washington Hospital used to be and the hospital not saying that they had free healthcare but the waiting room and the wait times were ridiculous and I just feel like if we have a system in place that is just completely free healthcare, it's gonna revert back to that system. So we need to have something that's a little bit more streamlined, but at the same time, it's not gonna break you anytime that, anytime, especially with a pandemic, it's not gonna break your bank anytime that something happens. For sure. Theo, do you have anything to, to add or respond with? So it's, it's, it's an interesting uh, topic for me, especially because, you know, growing up in a military family, uh, my dad was in the Marine Corps, after I graduated, I enlisted in the Army, ended up going to West Point. Healthcare really wasn't a major concern to me. And I think that just because that for that particular instance, that it wasn't as a, a problem for me as it was for other Americans, that means that someone like me needs to raise my hand and say, hey, what are we doing? Like how, how I have affordable healthcare because the military pays for it. So what are we doing for those uh, Americans that aren't military? How are we handling it DOD-wise? Or is it coming directly out of our paycheck? Yes and no. Um, taxes, where's, where's the money coming from for uh, civilian health care, as we call it in the military? Um, most of the time it was taxes, but not always, not always. So I have to agree with Sana. I, I like the multiple options. Um, Devin, I'd like to say that, you know, I agree with you. I, I think it needs to be more affordable options. And then, Will, we definitely need to have answers on where the funding is coming from. Are we going to increase one thing and make that a burden for Americans or for a larger or whatever size group of Americans just to decrease the need for healthcare on this side? Or can we find that balance? Right. At, the same, at the end of the day, healthcare is a given. Um, that's the government's role to take care of their citizens. So it's a, it's a, it's a big problem. It needs to get solved. It needs to get solved fast. So that's what I'll have to say about that. So you talked about stri striking a balance. What would that balance be for you? Not, not over what, not over uh, burdening one sector, like increasing taxes to a point where now folks can't even afford other insurance type things like homeowners insurance or car insurance. Now they can't drive a car because their car insurance is so high or they have to pay this much or taxes. And it, it, you, you, can't, you can't take from one and think that will be okay over a certain time frame and give to another area and say, we fixed it. You, you, you didn't fix it. It's, it's going to be a problem down the road. So that balances I guess it's more of a risk management concept. You're going to have to look at what's the risk of, of increasing this item or this agenda or this aspect of government or this aspect of our citizens' needs versus decreasing this and not causing uh, 
the balance to tip one way or the other. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to explain. I'm no politician. Uh, but again, I mean, that's what we're paying, our, or that's what our politicians are getting paid to do, figure out these problems. So, I mean, the waiting game begins now, I guess. So, Sure. Devin, you, you, you're in the, the medical, we can call it the medical field. What do, you, what do you see when you talked about the difference between Mary Washington Hospital from, from before to now and sort of when somebody gets hurt and you're on the scene, like so, talking about, you were talking about Canadian healthcare earlier versus, versus the American one. What, what, what kind of things do you notice? And if, if you're taking a patient in, right, somebody gets hurt on the construction site or whatever, you're taking them in. What is the process like for you to, as far as, or what, what have you observe, observed as far as like the, the paperwork insurance side of, of things? So I've, I've worked on a county ambulance as well as a private ambulance. So with the county, their policy is to take you to the closest, the, to the nearest hospital. Um, but if you request a certain hospital, say that um, if I want to go, if I'm, I have an asthma attack, the closest mm -hmm. hospital I'm, I am to is uh, Spotsy Regional. If I tell them, no, I want to go to Mary Washington Hospital, it is what, four or five miles further, but that's going to be an extra charge because of... From the private one, right? Right. Yep. Um, and then even from the private one, we won't even pick you up until your insurance has cleared the trip. So you can be, so you can be, um, you can be on, you can be on a certain, like a ventilator or something like that. But if your insurance says that, Hey, this, they don't have a bed ready for you. You have to either wait or take them to another hospital. So, and I've had to do that on numerous trips and it made me feel, made me feel like I couldn't do the best that I possibly could have done. And it made me feel like they shouldn't have to have to choose that. Like if you are, if you're in that type of vulnerable state, you shouldn't have to be worried about like, well, damn, like is Kaiser really going to pick this up? If I, if I'm, if I decide to call 911, you shouldn't have to worry about that. You shouldn't have to worry about like, oh, I need to go to a hospital that's up in Nova because no hospitals in Spotsylvania have a bed for me unless you go to Stafford Hospital. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a lot, and then not to mention, once you get better, how are you going to get back home? So, what's the difference between the private ones and the county ones? So, the private ambulance, everything is worked off of what your insurance pays. We have a, like there's a flat rate based on the based on the uh, service you need, whether it's BLS, basic life support, or ALS, advanced life support, and that pay varies as well as what you may need. So if you have a critical care patient who is a patient that's on a ventilator, patient's on a heart monitor, anything like that, then that pay is going to go up as well. Now, granted, a lot of these people that are on these, that are on the, well, you have, and then sometimes it'll change mid, uh, mid transport. So with private care, you will end up getting a bill that will fluctuate depending on what the, what the situation is. Whereas with the public county, you're going to get a flat rate. And now with your insurance, you get that paid off. Uh, and it, I actually have a bill from, uh, from Fredericksburg and that was going to be like 700 plus dollars just to go from downtown to Mary Washington. But 
luckily my insurance kicked in, so I don't have to pay 50, but you don't really have that fluctuation because it's a little more regulated because you're paying taxes mm-hmm. to the county and the county is getting paid through that. But with the private, like I said, with the private, they set their own prices and then they can change based on what your condition is and how your condition varies and how far you need to go. Sure. That's interesting. I was curious and I was trying to see if it led somewhere with this. Well, I don't want to, I'm very curious about this. Maybe we can, we can pick it up off, offline, you and me, Devin, but generally speaking, I think so, especially with, with COVID happening, right? We, we heard a lot about the, the hospitals being overrun and I know from, from one side, people were saying, well, if you had only government hospitals, they'd be overrun anyways. Or on the other side, well, it's, well, then we should build more government hospitals. So there's enough to take care of everybody. And that's sort of the kind of, for me, strike, strikes a, a balance. But again, with the, with the role of government in, we'll say, the pandemic, do you think, how, how active should the government be in, should, should they have been with this, with this COVID pandemic in the way that they handle it? Would, like, how would you guys have liked to have seen it differently based on, say, like, for, for you, Will, it would have been, like, the more government working with private industry response, but for, for you guys, Sana and Devin, more like a, a government response. What would you have liked to have seen, and how would that solution have laid itself out um, from, from your perspective? Theo, we can start with you. Okay, so um, I actually had uh, quite a bit of family um, contract COVID-19 um, right out the gate, and that was pretty scary for me and my family, you know, worrying about my stepsister and then my nephews and my grandmother and all these relatives. But again, you turn on the TV or you go and Google, you know, president or U.S. response to COVID-19 and there really wasn't anything at the beginning, honestly. I didn't really see plans developed or being developed any uh, direction in, uh, except shutting down the entire country pretty much as far as travel is concerned. And then you had um, the CDC come out with um, uh, wear mask and then what type of mask. And there really wasn't any guidance other than stay six feet away from the next person, you know, wear a mask, you know, if you're feeling sick, don't show up for work. Honestly, and I don't know where to even begin with it, you know, because this is something we're all experiencing for the very first time, honestly, something to this magnitude that has affected the entire globe. So um, I don't know, maybe a little more initiative from the beginning as, okay, you know, other countries are being affected. It's only, it's only going to, be a matter of time before the U.S. experience an outbreak, experiences an outbreak. Where do, here's what we have in plan. Here's how we'd like to start, you know, our, our uh, COVID-19 plan. This is what, this is the direction we're going. We didn't get anything like that. So I think starting off with something like that, especially from the White House or from uh, state governments or where the CDC, anything would have been better than what we experienced. So just having a plan and trying to initiate that plan from the beginning, anticipating the problem would have been a big plus for me to see that from our government. But again, like I said, this is the first time we're all experiencing this. Hopefully we get through it, but that's, that's all I, I can say, honestly. 
Will, do you think the lockdowns were an overreach or have proved themselves to be an overreach? Um, I wouldn't say it was kind of an overreach. I just think it was sort of a precaution. Um, what I think our government should have done um, in regards to, you know, the outbreak and controlling it, I, I think the first thing they should have done was, you know, shut down international travel because it was coming from, you know, it was coming from the Asia, it was coming from Asia, from China. And um, they should have just shut down international travel to get kind of slow the spread. Then I think the first things they should have done is kind of, okay, hey, let's, let's take care of our Americans first. Let's get a plan going and, you know, see the actual real numbers. Let's actually get some facts and some numbers in and see what we're working with. And let's get a plan and try to, you know, get control of it. And I think that didn't really happen as, you know, we, as, you know, as we thought it would, would, would have went with the government because the, the lack of bipartisanship that's in the government right now. So I think there's a lot of conflict between, um, I guess, Congress and the, you know, the president's administration. I, I would just think in my opinion, it's just, it's all kind of foolish. Cause you know, you have, you have a whole bunch of people that are, you know, that are, you know, susceptible contracting a virus and they have, you know, these preexisting conditions that put them at high risk. And I know a lot of people that, you know, have gotten a virus that, you know, there's been people that have like diabetes or, you know, high blood pressure or, you know, heart issues, you know, they're, they're usually the ones that, you know, they're, they're kind of in the hospital with the ventilator. So they're, they're like, you know, they, um, there's a lot of families that are, you know, very scared. So, I mean, I think the first, the, the first, very, you know, very, uh, the most important thing would be just, just taking care of the Americans first and we'll figure out a plan later because I think for me, in my, in my opinion, and I, you know, I could be wrong on this and people can, you know, have their opinion about it, but I think, you know, China is just as responsible, you know, as any other country is, you know, handling their, you know, the outbreak and taking care of their citizens. And I think what they should have done at that point in time when they noticed like, okay, here, here's an outbreak, you know, let's, let's shut down the borders and let's, you know, let's quarantine and, you know, let's take care of this thing. So I think um, there needs to be a lot of um, bipartisanship when it comes to issues, especially of like a, a global pandemic, because, you know, th these, you're putting people's, you know, lives at risk, but um, I do think um, as far as a, you know, as a precaution with, you know, the CDC saying wearing masks, socially distanced, stuff like that. I think that's starting to work now, but people, um, I think the government also needs to understand like you, when you have stuff like this going on, like there's also, um, you know, negative effects that happen. People like you know, the suicide rate has gone up. Um, uh, there's another thing I read um, online that's uh that did research into you know drug abuse that's also went up and i guess there's there's also other stuff that you know that could be beneficial you know spending more time with family and you know there's other stuff that you can look into but i think the most important thing is you know are we safe or is it is there you know is is this going to get any better like people need to have you know that you know and you know being sure that okay you're everything's gonna be fine we're gonna fix this so i think that's the most important thing i think it's just the the bipartisanship of, you know, both sides working together and letting the American people know that we're going to get through it, then it's not, it's going to be as, as soon as possible. So. Definitely. Sana, do you, do you kind of agree with, with the other two and, and moving forward with, I think Biden, uh, Biden or president like Biden had a couple of tweets saying that he was going to institute a, I think he said four to six week lockdown, I think is what he said. Um, do you, Going off what Will said about the, the negative effects of the lockdown as well, where, where do you think the trade-off is for that? And 
how would you like to see it handled moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think it's difficult to say really what a lockdown would have impact-wise on individual citizens and the economy. So we saw a pretty big recession when we did go into lockdown and a lot of businesses were shut down. I think it may be an overreach to completely shut down everything again. Um, we know at this point what our vulnerable populations are. So we know that maybe they should still should continue to stay home. Um, but I think in terms of retail and restaurants, they're handling it in a lot of big cities really well, creating innovative ways to do curbside and eat outside and all that. So I think in terms of a lockdown, I think it's going to have a pretty negative effect. You know, we already see seasonal depression year over year. I don't think, you know, a lockdown during Christmas and preventing people from seeing their families is really going to help. But I do think they do need to really emphasize the importance of, of quarantining before you go see your family or, you know, if you can continue to um, get tested as much as you can to, to know if, if you've been infected or if you're carrying any type of, um, if you're asymptomatic, if you're carrying the virus at all. Um, but I mean, just to mimic off of what Will said, in terms of a communication plan, it was really lacking. I think if we were to look at when they knew and if it really was January, we saw a first outbreak in um, Seattle and then Boston back in like February, and there was mm -hmm. still really no communication on. So we're seeing this, it, it is mimicking kind of like a flu-like virus, but it is more deadly, you know, stay home if you can or prevent travel if you can. I think that was just a really poor response. So if, if you look at previous years where we've had SARS outbreaks, China and other countries have been wearing the masks. So when you think about Americans just refusing to wear them outright, it's kind of ridiculous. They, even if you didn't know it was working previously, to know it now and still not do it, kind of tough. So I hope I answered your question. I know I went kind of a roundabout way. No. It's just hard to kind of know what people, what's going to work at this point, because it's been almost a year since we've all been in quarantine or in lockdown. So Definitely. So you, you touched on something that I want to move into a little bit, and this the people refusing to wear a mask. We can call them the, the anti-maskers or whatever you, whatever you want to call them. But it, I know a lot of people worry about the, the kind of in favor of, of, a, of a mandate or a law that would say, hey, you have to wear a mask until this is over, versus the, um, we can say that the individual rights argument is kind of silly in this case, but at is it is the onus on the response on the individual like is the individual responsible for their actions at this point and if you are you know somebody who doesn't want to wear a mask is it on you to kind of say hey you're not wearing a mask for whatever reason i'm not going to hang out with you because you're being dumb and that's on me to stay away from you or is it on the government to kind of make make them do that uh, I, I've seen that kind of question thrown around a lot and it's made me think because for me, it's kind of on the individual, right? If, if somebody doesn't want to wear a mask, then I'm not going to hang out with them. But I don't think it's in the government's role to make somebody do something like that. But also on the flip side, it's a health issue. And so 
I can see both sides. What do you guys kind of think about that? Also, feel free yeah. to jump. Feel free to jump in on each other's comments. Don't I don't have to ask you <laughs> to, to say stuff. If somebody says something and you feel then if you feel like you have something to add or you want to jump in, please please feel free. Like the conversation can go where it goes, and if you guys get off the rails, and I can come bring it back. But but that's kind of what we're here for, for to, to get discussions going. So don't leave it to me to ask you guys specific questions. But we can go off off the one that I just outlined, and then we can go from there. Yeah, I can kick it off. So. I think to your point, it can't really be on the government. It'd be way too hard to enforce. I think you should wear a mask because you're not a shitty person, but that's my personal opinion. But I think that's where you can lean on private businesses. If you have to wear shoes to enter a store or restaurant, then they have the right to enforce a similar rule with the mask. Exactly. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. Um, I would also, also say that, um, yeah, if you're like hanging around people like I don't have to wear a mask, like I don't want to wear a mask, then like then you know that's on you. If you get sick and get someone else sick and they happen to die, then that's on you not you know not being responsible and you know kind of taking in something that's actually objective reality. Like this, there is a virus and it's actually you know affecting you know people globally. So I feel like that. Um, yeah, if you, I mean, I don't think it's a government troll either to kind of you know intervene. And say, hey, if you don't wear a mask, we'll find you or it's law. But I mean. Um, yeah, I think um, I think it's I think it's just on you as your own individual American. I mean, you have you have the right. You don't want to wear one, but there's you know if you go into you know place of business, they have the right to deny you because they want to you know protect the people that are also you know providing business for them. So I totally agree with that. That is that's true. Like I definitely think that on an individual level, yeah, you should be like, hey, look, please wear your mask because it's getting out of hand. But on the flip side, so many people are like are so quick to get in, uh, get up in arms about like I don't need to wear my mask, and they will actually get physical with you, right? At that point, so at, yeah. so it's kind of touch and go because yes, you don't want to involve the government or God forbid law enforcement, but at a certain point you have to think like okay, where where does that line cross? Where you have people showing up to you, trying to spit in your face, cursing you out, putting their hands on you, right? And at some points, like, you know, like you can only do but so much as an individual. So you're going to need something to back you up, where the local government, state, federal, whatever, but it needs to, there needs to be some type of middle ground that kind of, look, if you want this, if you guys want this to actually fully work, you guys need to have some type of basis. That we I all think get. they have implemented some type of assault charge associated they have. with that. They have. Oh, they've mm-hmm. definitely oh. done it. Mm-hmm. They've done it at our college. We've had we've had yep. people come in, teachers. The school's closed. They come in. I'm not going to wear a mask. Okay, sorry, you're not allowed in. And we literally lock the door and close it back because we have to go up and physically open the door for them. But you know, people don't want to listen. They want to destroy property. They want to do what they want. A lot of people like to do what they want. Not everyone. But most people do, a lot of them. And I think, for me, personally, I've, I've seen people, you know, you ask them to wear a mask, they go back to the car. You have your mask? Yeah, I have it. Still not on their face. Can you put it on? Sure. They put it over, like, their chin and their mouth and nose still showing. And Okay, like, <laughs> you know, it, it's, 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 it's a thing of people are going to want to do what they want when they want, how they want, they're not going to listen. And at the end of the day, you know, uh, like Will said, it's going to be up to them when they get sick and then pass it on to someone else who already has pre-existing health conditions and they pass away. 
that's going to be on their conscience, you know, and I try to tell people all the time, you know, just make the, 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 the more, the harder right, choose the harder right over the easier wrong. And choosing the harder right is wearing a mask. Okay. And that comes from our old superintendent, General Kastlin, but he, he always used to, he, he still voices it now as the president of uh, University of South Carolina. He still says, you know, choose the, choose the harder right over the easier wrong. And that involves wearing a mask. Just do it. It's not, it's not that hard. I mean, do you want to keep getting a little swab stuck all the way up to your brain every time you want to do something? Like for me, sports, rugby, I have to do that for every game. Like, no, I, I don't. So I wear a mask. It's yeah. that simple. Definitely. Do you guys think, um, so I want to move on a little bit to the Second Amendment and gun rights, because that's another super hot topic. And for me, it's, it's fairly, maybe not the exact same as the mask, but it's similar enough in the fact that if you want to be responsible or irresponsible with, with your weapons, if you're irresponsible with your mask, you're putting lives in danger and the same, and the same with, with the weapon, obviously to a lesser extent. Um, but again, so going, going off that, cause I, I and I don't know your guys' views that much. We, we've had short conversations, but Devin, what, what's your kind of view on, on the second amendment and sort of how, how the government should intervene or not intervene and, and, what if if you had an, an ideal world, right? What kind of what would your policy be for that? So, um, me personally, uh, as a black man in America, I tend to like not want to have a gun. But I understand now that there are people that don't like us that have guns. So I'm going to protect me and my own. Um, with that being said, I just personally feel that. I don't need an assault rifle. I don't need AR-15s. I don't need any of that stuff. I feel like, to me, that's 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 too much. That's too, quote unquote, military military type gear, and I don't need that. So, I in an ideal world, I think that just pistols and a shotgun, at the most, and a hunting rifle, would be okay. But even then, that's still kind of a that's a slippery slope. Um, but I understand that that is, that's all right. And people feel very, people feel very adamant about that. Right. But I feel like we have gone past, we've gone past the right to have it. And now it's like, people are fetishizing it, if that makes sense. Like how some people are so adamant, like, oh, I got this, or they're posting on social media. And it's like, oh, I got this, that, and the third. It's like, I don't, if you, if you have something to, that you're saying to protect your household, I feel like you wouldn't want to show that to the world. Like if you are doing it just for the sole purpose of protection, then you don't want to advertise, hey, look, I've got this, you know, just, you know, I would just be like, uh, what Teddy Roosevelt said, speak softly, but carry a big stick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm all about that. I'm all yeah. about that. Like, don't let, don't, don't, don't show your cars to the world. Like hold, hold them to you, hold them close to your chest. But I feel like once you go on to like posting and like talking about it and all that stuff, that's going on to a whole other world where that can lead to irresponsibility. That you don't show off your groceries that you get in the house every day. So you shouldn't have to show off something that you absolutely need, that you feel like you absolutely need to make your house safe, you know? 
Theo, you got a thinking face on. <laughs> yeah, actually, I do. Hey, Devin got my attention, um, especially with the, uh, you know, showing your groceries, showing what you got, you know, talk softly, walk around the big stick. You know, I get it. One of the things uh, that I've done is I've gone out and I've attained a concealed uh, carry uh, license. Um, for me, being military, there was no extra training I had to do to prove that I was competent with a firearm. Um, in the military, we have what's called weapons qualifications. And if you do something dumb at the range, you are immediately kicked out of the military. We call it uh, negligent discharges. So if your gun goes off, your firearm goes off, um, without being uh, given the thumbs up to shoot down range, you're out. So the military has this tight, these tight reins on it's it's military personnel, active duty, reserves, whatever you may be. Um, but for me personally, I take that now into my career field, you know, um, community college police department. So my role at the community college does not require me to have a firearm. And that's, I enjoy, I, I enjoy that actually, because when I'm going up to interact with individuals, whether they are students, teachers, visitors, I'm, I don't, I, they may see a badge, but overall, they don't see me as a threat because they don't see the firearm. Now, granted, I'm not going to toot my own horn, but I do not need a firearm to defend myself. Um, and that's just based on my, my training that I've gotten in the military, some of the things I've gotten to do. Um, but when it comes to the whole firearm thing, you know, walking around with a, an AR-15 or whatever, and you got it strapped to your chest and walking around, America, yeah, okay, that's fine. I applaud you. But do you know what kind of message you're sending to people? Like, what about the young African-American, or not even just African-American, what about the young male or female minority that's walking down the street with their parents and they see you parading down the street with this big AR-15, you know, they don't know what it is. They just know it hurts people, you know? And what what's going through their mind? Okay, I see you with the gun. Now they turn around and there's a police officer just having a casual conversation with their parent and they're hiding behind their parent because this police officer has a similar gun and they know that gun hurts people. It's a lot, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a psychological uh, game, I guess you can say. A lot of people play with, you know, showboating firearms. I, yes, and then again, no. Uh, most people do it. Most people don't. I have friends who own multiple firearms. I own multiple firearms. I don't have any uh, rifles yet. I, I, I would like to own them because I'm trying to get, you know, the hunter's license and everything with that. But I believe in concealed carry permits because you have it for your defense, not to show off to people. No one needs to know you have one. There, there's no point in it. I mean, unless you're going out to do something illegal. And if you are, may God have mercy on your soul because we have law enforcement for that reason. You know, you don't need to take matters into your own, own hands. And Orange County, where, where I grew up, I live in Fredericksburg now, but Orange County, uh, it was kind of depressing to me. We had um, the sheriff of Orange County uh, Sheriff's Office when um, the governor almost a full year ago came out and said, uh, uh, we're considering, you know, disarming or making illegal the certain uh, ownership of certain firearms. Um, the sheriff said, hey, uh, Orange County will be a um, 
I forgot what he called it, a shelter county or something. Like safe haven or something. Safe like haven. That. He said he and wasn't going to enforce it. Exactly. And he also said that he will deputize some of the uh, constituents in the county to enforce his policy. And I was like, okay, that's a bit extreme coming from a law enforcement official. So, you know, I'm just confused on the whole thing. I'm like, I don't get it. Like you say it's for self-defense, but now you're like walking around, come mess with me, I dare you. It's like, so where do you sit on the fence then as far as how much government involvement should be in, in regulating what sort of gun you can or can't have? Ownership should be allowed. Um, we already have processes in place to um, permit certain individuals who are competent enough with a firearm uh, to own a firearm, but there's there are loopholes like the black market. You're going to have folks gang violence. They're going they're going to have guns regardless of whether you make laws or not. They're going to do whatever they want to do. Again, Americans. Some Americans are going to do whatever they want to do. Um, there's it's it's a lot deeper than just you know okay, is there an easy fix to this? No, there's not an easy fix to this. Um, you're going to have to work with people like the NRA. You're going to have to work with people like the ATF. Um, you're going to have to work with a lot of folks and you're going to have to use the power of influence and work with legislative officials to, to counteract a lot of these issues. It's not necessarily the fact that we have um, average citizens, you know, toting guns and shooting people and stuff like that. No, it's the fact that on top of that, we can't find a fix on how to prevent the purchase and sell of certain firearms. Definitely, definitely. Sana, do you have, do you have anything to, to jump in to add to that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's a lot of issues around is having a firearm in the home, so as well as the influence that you can have on others. So I think to Devin's point, yeah, I don't really understand. I don't own a firearm myself. I have no problem with people owning them, I, but I don't understand sort of the showboating and why, you know, you need some of those military weapons. But there are statistics that show that if you are in a domestic dispute within your home and there is a firearm, the chances of some type of fatality involving the firearm increases by 40%. So, I mean, do with that information as you may, It's but it is just a known statistic that if there is a firearm in your home, the chances of something happening does just drastically increase. So I've also heard the other argument from the right that's more around, we don't want people to have any type of um, sort of mental capacity influences around owning a firearm because it's a slippery slope. And I agree with that. I mean, that could mean a lot of things. And that means that there's also just a ton more regulation. But I think an easy sort of start would be to get rid of some of the firearms that, um, and I also don't know that much about this topic, but like Devin mentioned, just it seems a little bit unnecessary beyond protection and hunting to have some of those firearms just readily available. Um, so even though you may be able to get them on the black market, I know it's pretty easy to get now. You can go to gun shows. There's not really a long turnaround time. I think there needs to be some type of enforcement. And unfortunately, I don't think the NRA is that willing to make any budgets. I've never seen them really willingly work on any type of enforcement around it because that's harmful for their business. So 
that's just my personal stance again, I, but I don't have any issues with people owning firearms. It's just, there should be regulation. I think at this point, we're not really going to agree on what that is. Will? Yeah, I would say um, the big thing for owning firearms and uh, especially in our country would just be, um, I guess, accountability and, uh, you know, as your own person, as an individual, like, how are you perceiving yourself as a, you know, a, a gun, a person that has a gun in our country. So I think one of the big things for me is, um, to, you know, I think we need to be more, have a lot more stricter laws on background checks and have, I guess, uh, psychological checks too, as well, just to kind of, you know, check the mental state of a lot of people that have the guns. And, um, I just think hold this whole, you know, hold the, you know, average American law abiding citizen accountable for, you know, what weapon they have, either maybe an AR or a pistol, whatever. And I also want to piggyback off of, you know, Devin and what uh, Theo said that you don't have to be flaunting your guns all over social media. Like you don't, there's no need for that. If you, if you're there for like, Oh, I have it from, for my protection. It's my right. That's fine. That's cool. But you don't have to post, you know, every single AR you, you buy every month, you know, based off whatever you get is going to be, you know, the, you know, the main event on your, you know, social media page. Like, to be honest, I don't really think anyone cares to see that they have guns. I mean, other, you know, law-abiding citizens that have guns, but, oh, cool, you got a new gun. That's cool. But not everyone's going to be like, okay, this person has a gun. Cool. But, um, yeah, I think uh, another thing, I don't know if you guys heard of um, the story about the, the Parkland shooting. Uh, the individual, the I guess the, the, the kid that had got the gun and started, you know, he went to school and started firing. He um, had made a comment on YouTube, like I guess like a couple years prior and said that he was going to be quote unquote a school shooter. And I guess the FBI had flagged him down and they never pursued, you know, stuff after that. So, I mean, I think it's also accountable on law enforcement to kind of crack down on some of these individuals that are just kind of, you know, getting away with some of this stuff or they get flagged or, you know, they don't get questioned further or investigated further. So you kind of could prevent, you know, another school shooting so I think it's kind of, you know, it balances on, you know, quote, uh, you know, quote, accountability on both sides. So, I mean, if you have a gun and it's for your protection, then make it that. Don't, don't flaunt it. Don't, you know, you don't have to walk around with an AR walking down the street just to prove a point. Like, we get it. You have a gun. You have a right. But you don't need to walk around and make it seem like, you know, oh, this person up to no good. He has a gun. Like, I'm kind of scared. You're going to put off, you know, this idea that, you know, I maybe get hurt. He may shoot people. I don't know. He's a he's a person walking down the street. So, I think in my opinion, you just be you need to be really responsible when you own a firearm. Because I have, I have, you know, I have a shotgun. I have a rifle. I I never use it. I I mean, it's up in the closet when I need to use it for my protection. Sometimes I'll go hunting with a friend, and that's the only time I use it. But other than that, like, I don't post anything on social media. I don't you know say, oh, I have a gun. I don't flaunt it in front of everybody. Then um. I think another thing would be is hold the perpetrators accountable. Like these people that are, these people, the people that are, you know, buying guns in the black market and getting caught, then, you know, they go into jail and they get released again, then they go do the same thing. They're you're dealing guns or buying weapons and committing the same crimes. I think that um, we need to start holding the perpetrators accountable. And Definitely. also, you know, law enforcement and, you know, just the typical, you know, average American law-abiding citizen that has a firearm. We just need to there needs to be bipartisanship in a lot of these issues and it needs to be done fast because it can go one way or another, you know, really fast. It can end up being bad. So definitely. I hear one thing that didn't really surprise me having talked to all of you before, but I hear a lot of uh, 
consensus. Maybe not with the finer points or the finer details of whatever the issue is, but the main idea I feel like, and this goes for, for obviously this is a small, very small sample size, but a lot of the people that I talk to one-on-one -on -one seem to have this, the same sort of consensus that you guys have as, as far as the general rule of like, yeah, I don't care if you have a gun, this, we should probably have some better background checks and maybe you shouldn't throw it around social media or with the masks. Like, yeah, you should probably wear a mask, but like, I don't really think the government should tell you to do it. And on social media and the media in general, that perception doesn't, or the reality of the consensus that we all share or that you guys all share doesn't really exist in the, the screen sort of world. Why do you guys think that is? Because if I, if I were to go on, on Devin's feed versus Will's feed, I would think that if I got the two of them in a room, they would agree on nothing. And that's, and I, and that's not the case. And I knew that wasn't the case going in to this. Why do you think that that sort of um, is kind of blasted out there on both on social media and the mainstream media, right? If the, if, if you, if you only, if you didn't talk to anyone and only watch the news, you would think that everyone in this country hates each other. And it's just not the case at all, as evidenced by the first hour of this discussion. There's been a lot of consensus amongst the four of you. So why do you guys think that is? Um, I'd definitely say, I guess we can, I, I would think we would all agree on this, that there's, there's a lot of, um, especially with the mainstream media, there's a lot of rhetoric and there's a lot of narratives going around and agendas that they seem to be pushing. And I think that's one of the reasons that's, you know, that's caused a lot of division in this country is the media because they paint, you know, they paint one side one way and the other does the same thing and vice versa. And it just causes this massive rift within our society and, you know, these different cultures and these different groups of people. And I think a big thing for me, there, there needs to be a lot of common ground that needs to be found on, on both sides, whether, you know, it be, you know, discovering the truth, what are the actual facts? I think people need to actually sit down and kind of, you know, kind of see it from the one truthful objective side. And that's the objective side of reality. That's, I, that's my personal, you know, my perspective on it. And um, yeah, I, I, I would just kind of stand by, you know, just kind of seeing the objective reality of things and not just kind of believing what you see on TV or what you hear on social media, because those are heavily influenced by, uh, you know, a whole different, you know, amount of constituents. And um, I think it's just really important that people know what the truth is and how they, you know, interpret it. So. Devin. Um, yeah, basically what Will said, like there's, well, wherever, anytime you hear a story, you're going to hear one person's side, the other person's side, and then somewhere in the middle is the truth. But I think, especially with like, with this administration, um, out the gate, it was fake news this, fake news that. And I think once that, once that rhetoric started to come around, that's when you start to, that's when people really start to doubt how the media was, how the media was shaping their, their information on things. Now we can all, we can all say like, even before this administration, everybody was like, well, you know, you can see how, you can see how certain things get twisted or certain facts get Right. Clopped around, but as but you could definitely use this these past four years as a catalyst and understanding of how 
you can take one story and you can hear two different sides of it. Um, going back to um, the Charlottesville uh, riots, it started out as as a white supremacist, uh, as white supremacist protest. Mm-hmm. It's their First Amendment, they can do it, but it's still as hate speech. So the next day, everyone else came around. They're like, hey, look, we don't want you in our city. Please get out as a protest. Turned violent. People died. People got injured. And the president got on the next day and said, there's fine people on both sides. And everybody that's fairly sane, you heard, he just called white supremacists, some white supremacists fine people. Whereas other people, they will watch another news article and be like, well, they took it out of context. What he really meant was this, or he's not saying that. And you're just getting two sides of the story where one one group of people feel like they're being told the truth. And the other group of people feel like, well, no, you're just, it's the fake news. They're just biased. They're leftist, liberal, snowflakes. It's just like you, you're getting this rift now and it's being, it's being propelled by the media, but it's coming from a source where this divide is coming from. And it's now you're just really seeing it head on. Whereas before it was kind of, it was kind of muddled. Like you could kind of get like little hints there. Like you, like I said, it would be numbers flip-flopped or you hear other people's perspective on things, but now you're just getting a completely different narrative on right. the exact same story. And that's where I think is, that's where the divide is coming from the most. Sana? Yeah, so I'm not sure if you guys have seen the movie Vice um, with Dick Cheney. Yeah, so I think that does a, an accurate depiction of really where that began and how easy it is to take things out of context, really make something clickbait or make it from your perspective. And I think the next step is an objective media source. Again, just focusing on exposing scandals, exposing corruption rather than um, point of view um, news reporting. So you're right, I think, but there is a divide, I think, in the country. And if you look at just polling and how people voted, it's almost split evenly in every state. Um, And I think that's largely due to not really knowing what is true and what side to believe. And um, when I talk to people, I think sometimes they're really just voting off of one opinion or one view. So they're really passionate about maybe guns. So maybe that's what they're voting about. They're really worried about taxes. So they're only voting towards that. Um, So I think there is a divide. I don't think it should be overlooked, but I don't think it's um, really as objective. It, It is very based off of what you've heard and your experience. So that's where you're leading. And I think their conversations like this just can help amend that as well. What's the remedy for this situation that we have found ourselves in? Um, well, I think you and I had talked about it a little bit before the podcast. It, I think there's a lot of corruption just within the Senate and the House. Um, if you look at how much they're being funded by, you know, big pharma, by um, just outside forces, you can actually track that money. And um, there's always the same people within each policy conversation that are blocking the things. 
and then you go to look at who they're being funded by and, and you know exactly why, right? And so that they're the same people that then go to the news and say, well, so-and-so didn't want to back my whatever. Right. Uh, so I think that first step is just putting limits on how much they can be funded. Um, it, I really do like some of those grassroots um, funding options that you've seen um, because I think they speak more to the interests of the people in their district and what they're looking for rather than, um, you know, personal interest. So I think that's probably the first step before you can amend the media because I think there's different issues there around regulation, what they can say, who's backing them. But I think that's probably the first step is just bring the power back to the people. Theo? I was just thinking just now. Um, you guys remember Superman, whether it's the movie or the comic series, com um, cartoon series. Um, the uh, Daily Planet, the owner or the head editor of Daily Planet, I forgot his name. He had the white streak with the gray hair. Mm -hmm. That charisma, that attitude, that perspective on telling a story is what I'm reminded of every time I turn on the news, honestly. Um, if you look at how the election went, you could have gone to MSNBC, ABC, CNN. I guarantee you, you would not have been able to match up accurately who was projected above who in the election. I'm like, so this is the news we get. This is what they expect us to believe, yet there's so many of them telling different stories. Oh, wait, go to their websites. ABC had Biden projected by this much and Trump projected by this much overall. And then you go to their website and it was like, not accurate at all. It was like 30% mm, lower for both candidates. I'm like, what is going on? I mean, I know people are still trying to figure out who really won or mm -hmm. whether a state really did get their official totals in or most of them are not. And I get that. But when it comes to telling an accurate story, it seems like that's not happening. It seems like our media um, sources are playing a big game of telephone where the media starts off with the, with the uh, call and they throw it out to send out the message to all Americans. And by the time it gets to us little men and women, we're like, wait, we're at war with Republicans or wait, we're at war with Democrats. That's not even what's really going on, but you would think it is because it's like almost everybody, like the media wants to portray the Republicans and Democrats as enemies all the time. And it's gotten worse over the years. I mean, I've only been alive 27 years, but correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, Something's got to give. I mean, you, 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 like like Sana was saying, you're going to have to limit the involvement or not the involvement. Well, yeah, the involvement of the media backing certain sort, certain uh, candidates for office or even politicians that are already in office and how much funding they can receive and what sources they're receiving that funding from. Right. Um, Trump, I always question where he received this funding from, even though he was like some multi-billionaire or whatever you want to call him. But I mean, I was like, so how do you like respectfully say I don't want your money, but then again, I can't use my own money. Like, how do you, how do you, you know, decipher, you know, what, I mean, I'm not even going to talk about that really. Let's just skip that. Let's act like I didn't <laughs> say But anyway, um, yeah, that's my two cents on it. I mean, it's a big game of telephone, honestly, to me, my perspective. And just to piggyback off of what you're saying, just not, not only is it just with politics, it's with everyday crime. Right, well. right. Like, you will see, right. like you'll see um, how they'll portray certain incidents. Like if, say, if like, oh, a uh, uh, house was robbed, they will portray the person that did it 
in a certain light. But if another if another tragedy happened and it happened to be of another race, they put them in a different light as well. So they are playing, they're toying with us yeah. with not politics, it's with racial issues. Now, I understand that, you know, racism is a huge thing in this country. And it, I honestly, it, it's, it has been, but that we're not helping ourselves out when any time that you see like uh, someone that had a mental breakdown with mm-hmm. dealing with the cops, they are, if they're one race or another, they're getting treated a different way. And I'm getting tired of seeing all of these people get shot on primetime news, Twitter, and I'm tired of seeing other people get carried away in handcuffs when they do these major massive crimes. Like I'm I'm tired one, I'm tired of just seeing it in general. And two, I'm tired of seeing how they will spin the narrative or they'll pick a certain picture. Right. Person. So like if it's a first time offense or if it's something that is complete or someone that actually got killed they'll put up their mugshot mm-hmm. if it's the person that killed their family they'll put a picture of the family being all happy and loving together right you know I mean? like manipulation kind of exactly like manipulating us yeah exactly so there do you need to one you're also digging into politics and the candidates and the politicians you need to also dig into the news media to figure out what their right actual agendas are that they're trying to preach to the American people. Right. But um, I'll, I'll piggyback off what you said, Devin, because I, I think that's a, what you said was really, like, uh, really genuine and really, you know, and utmost importance for us as Americans. It's just like, just to figure out, like, what's the truth? Like, there's, there's no point of causing division in our saying, I'll put this one picture up and spin it one way, and those news outlets does the same thing, but it's, it's something else. Like, some black man robs a house, it's, you know, mainstream news, and down the street a white guy robs a house to the same thing and you know that doesn't get uh, you know you know you know all the all the views of or the audience that it should compare to the other one but another thing uh Sonar brought up was the the politicians like we need to figure out where they're getting their money from what are they doing in politics to, to help benefit you know us as american people because you know entities like Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff and Chuck Schumer, all these people have been in politics for so long. There's, you know, they're so keen on, you know, we're, we're going to fix America. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Then when you look at their districts, their districts are, they're terrible. Like they're poorly ran. Like there's, there's crime, the crime's up and there's, there's people, there's, you know, homeless people, there's people doing drugs on the street. It's just like, well, you know, if you're, you're saying all this stuff and, you know, you're promising the American people, you know, you know an American dream per se, like, what do, you, what do you have to bring to the table? Because you've been in politics for so long and you're pocketing all this money over time, you know, like nothing's changing. So, like, I think what you guys are saying is actually probably the, the major issue in government right now is corruption in the politicians we have now because they've been in for so long. Like, what, what, what exactly are they doing to help us? So I think that's a big thing. And also the media is whether we can trust it or not as you know, from, from a bipartisan perspective is to kind of see what, what, you know, what we see on the news, is it true or not? Cause we don't know. Cause it's, there's always a mix up between different outlets and, you know, there's, there's different constituents that always kind of, you know, kind of mix up what the actual objective reality is of what we're seeing on the television or on our phones. So I think that's a, a really big thing for us as, you know, 
even if we have different opinions or perspectives, we want to know the truth regardless of what it is. You know what I mean? Because we, that's like the most, that's really the most important thing is we have to know what's going on. So we know what to do to fix it. So. Yeah. And I was going to ask, you know, what are your opinions on term limits for that reason, getting some of those oh, incumbent yeah. people out? Yeah. I, so yeah. For me, I, I saw something on the internet. I'm pretty sure you guys all saw it, like the two year term limit. Like I, it could be a little bit, I could be a little bit more than that, but I kind of want to see how that kind of goes with the two year term limit because I kind of see that as, okay, let's see what this person's doing for this two years and see like how they're, you know, being productive and helping, you know, the American people. Then also we also need to keep tabs on what they're doing and what money is being circulated around and, you know, they're lobbying and you campaigning and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, for, you know, whatever it may be. But I think that's another thing because you brought that to my attention too as well saying you know where are they getting all this money from or where is this you know the money they're pocketing just like that like i actually want to know what's going on and what their you know what their agenda is and to see whether it's going to benefit us or if it's just going to be you know another person in office or you know have a seat in that in congress and just you know say this and that on the news then nothing changes you know what i mean so like we need to see change we need to see progress and I think that's something we can all like agree on and which, you know, that's kind of get kind of gets me inside. So it's like, okay, we can all tackle this together. Then we're going to actually see change. But then again, like the media comes into play, there's always going to be that division. So. Well, I think we're seeing a lot of States take to the ballots on policies that they feel strongly about. And I think mm -hmm. we saw a lot of decriminalization this round, Florida increased their minimum wage. We saw Colorado Institute, um, like mandatory medical leave for families. And I think that's probably a step in the right direction is just putting things on the ballot and getting people involved in those policies, understanding what they're about and voting on it themselves. Do you ever worry about people not understanding what the policy is? If, if someone were to put a policy on the ballot, like uh, Brexit, for example, I think there was yeah. that when Brexit <laughs> came out that like no one knew what 80, it was about. Yeah, eighty-five percent of people or whatever had to Google it, Googled it the day after the polls closed or whatever or something like that. I you, remember, I remember uh, asking my my um, European teammate, rugby teammates at Mary Wash, hey, what's what's Brexit, man? Like, do y'all know anything about this? Can you explain it to me? Like, like yeah, sure, mate, sure, mate. How about over a pint? Like, you know, it's, I just wanted to throw that out there, big man. <laughs> I definitely do. And I think LA has that problem, but they can find ways to just simplify it. It shouldn't be, you know, just give a quick summary of what the intention is and how they're going to accomplish it. They don't, they don't really need to get in the weeds about all the legislation. It just needs to be, this is the outcome right. that we're hoping for. Something like paid medical leave should be pretty straightforward enough. I think it gets more complicated when you're talking about changing certain amendments or, you know, right. You know. Because it's like, it's very similar to, I don't know, like I said at the beginning, I'm a huge history buff. So like when, back when like the Catholic church was only giving service, sermons in, uh, in Latin, they were only giving uh, Latin masses. They didn't oh, wow. speak in the vernacular to the commoners. So that's why, that's actually where the term vernacular came from, because they didn't understand what they were being told. So they were just going blindly with what was interpreted to them oh wow I never knew that yeah so that so i feel like i said like i said that's similar to how everything is going today mm -hmm. with the certain language because yeah they try to make everything sound so prim and proper and 
as politically on the money as they can, but they're, but they're not talking to your average person. You're not talking to the person that is a first time voter. You're not talking to a person that is honestly like, and they're just a target audience. Exactly. You're only speaking to people that speak like you. It's like if I was in the medical, like me being in the medical field, instead of saying like, oh my God, I'm having a heart attack, like, oh, I'm having a cardiac infarction. Like you, you, the common person is not going to understand what I'm saying. Right. So it, you need to, you need to not dumb it down, but you need to make it appeal to everyone. Right. It's the language that you're using. Yeah, I agree. Well, uh, Eric had mentioned something, or either Eric or Sanish, that one of you had mentioned something about folks not understanding certain things that were put on the ballot. Uh, this past election, right? Um, one of those things that raised a lot of questions in my mind was Oregon decriminalizing smaller amounts of hard drugs. I thought that was pretty interesting um, to include heroin, cocaine, and marijuana. Um, I, you know, I know folks who smoke marijuana, you know, and I, all you can do is be that person to advise them, hey, yeah. just, just don't do it. Yeah. You're you're better off without it, and it's not like I'm trying to tell them what to do. It's just being that kind friend, knowing, knowing what could possibly happen if you know, right? You got caught with it. But let's say Virginia uh, decriminalized the same hard drugs. Like, what is the take on that? Like, I don't think it's a thing of people misunderstanding things. I think it's just a certain demographic in Oregon. But what do you what do you all think? Because I ask myself that, and I still can't wrap my head around it possibly happening. But what if that happened in Virginia? What's the take on? So the way that at least that I understood it with how Oregon was doing it was they decriminalized it and you have like a hundred dollar fine, but that money is getting put into programs to actually rehabilitate these people and to put more drug education out there on the market, not on the market, but more drug education out there for people. So if they did that in a place like Virginia, which does have a pretty high heroin epidemic, Cold yeah, you know, you know. Yeah. So it could it could do some harm initially, mm-hmm. but in the end, I definitely can see it benefiting people because same thing, because uh, I mean, like we all went to public school. We all know that the, that the education for sex and drugs was not up to date, like was not, up, was not up to date and just did not help anybody. We had D.A.R.E. and then a bunch of really sad videos in health class. Like there was no real like understanding of what these drugs do, why people use them and the effects it can really have on your body. But if you do a program where you're actually decriminalizing and charging a fine for doing it and then putting all that money back into programs, government funded programs, it can make things a lot better with education and actual rehabilitation and help. Because a lot of these people now they're just getting locked up for a charge they're not really getting, they're getting clean in jail because they have to get clean. There's no prolonged 12-step program. There's no rehabilitation program for them. So they're getting, they're getting put right back out on the street. They have a stressful day like we all do, but then they fall back on their crutch. And it's just a vicious cycle that keeps going on and on and on and on and on. I'd like to use the word habilitation because of the fact that you're not, if you're rehabilitating someone, you're not taking them out of that environment. Well, you kind of are taking them out of that environment that they're used to, especially with their drug addiction. But you're not erasing that habit, that addiction from their mind, creating, helping them develop a new them, or in, our, in their case, a new me. 
Like they don't have that sense when it's rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. Um, just thought I'd throw it out there. I've been thinking a lot about that. A lot of courses I'm taking right now with GMU and AMU, or AMU, I'm sorry, excuse me, American Military University. We're talking about that right now. What can okay. we do in law enforcement to those of us who are smart enough to raise our hand and say, hey, we can't just keep arresting folks, you know? We, we got to do something to help the community, right? Exactly. You know, so, yeah. I would uh, also point out that um, a lot of the, the funding and, you know, budget allocation within, you know, the state and how they, you know, how they, they run the laws and the, the legislating and whatnot. I think, uh, I, I wouldn't say, like how Devin was saying, like it's, they decriminalize it so they can help put money towards going towards, you know, helping combat and helping people with, you know, addiction and going through, you know, rehab and whatnot. But also I think there's other ways like where they can kind of take the money that they're getting in as a state from the federal level and kind of, you know, I guess take the budget and reallocate it into, you know, areas where the state needs it the most. So I think, I think a big thing for America right now is, you know, the, you know, the war on drugs, I think rehab and a lot of, uh, you know, the addiction centers and stuff, there needs to be more money put into that. So in more care, because um, it helps a lot of Americans, you know, helps a lot of Americans out. Cause I see a lot of people, you know, they come out of rehab and sometimes they have a relapse and they go back. So like, you never want to see somebody like, I had a couple friends that, you know, they, they had a hard time with drug addiction. They come out of rehab I'm like, okay, this guy's going to be good to go. Like, hey, he's, he's going to, you know, live a good life. And they just happen to go back because, you know, under certain circumstances but um yeah i i really think that we need to start seeing a lot of uh you know a lot of the funds and the budgets being reallocated to kind of some of the important issues that some of the, the states you know are facing and you know as a country as well at a federal level too so i you know i completely agree with uh kind of tackling some of those issues and using the funds and uh making and creating laws that are going to help us in the long run so would you guys say that our government currently is fulfilling its role that you guys laid out at the beginning of the podcast? No. No. Yeah. It's a resounding no for me. Good. Well, glad we're all on the same page there. <laughs> um, so what to hmm, see is it's kind of tough because I say, well, what do you do to fix it? And a lot of the, a lot of the, the answers are, well, it's complicated. Probably term limits would be a good thing. Uh, campaign funding reform would be another good thing. And it doesn't seem to me, maybe this is me being the pessimist, but it doesn't seem to me that a congressman would vote themselves a term limit if they're doing quite well off donations or other things or they're making a good living and they can just chill until the next re-election and not do anything. Um, do you guys have um, sort of an optimistic view or, or sort of hope for how we can change this or or do you guys have uh, any sort of ideas on, on maybe to get other people informed and, and to make sure that the, the American people are on the same page? Because I think we can all agree that the American people are being let down by our, our government at at the current state that it's in. And so going off the fact that the power of the government is given to it by the people that elect those officials, what can we do to kind of take that back uh, for, for the citizens of, of the United States? Uh, I'd definitely say when I'm uh, going back to Sana's point and, um, and Devin's, 
I think it's just weeding out the corruption. Like we just need to get rid of all the corrupt individuals and politicians that are, you know, in place right now, whether it may be the president, if he is corrupt, who knows? And there's other people that are out there that are, you know, taking advantage of the system and taking advantage of us as, you know, the American, you know, as Americans. I just think we just need the, there should be a zero tolerance for that. Like there shouldn't be anyone that's in politics that should be, you know, lying their own pockets and lying to the American people on a constant basis. Like, I, I don't think, think that's- I think we all agree that that's the case, Will, but how do we make that happen? It's, it's very easy to say, oh, well, we should just get rid of them. Right, right. But like, right. we, we would have, I feel like we would have done that already if that were the case. Yeah, but that's, that, that goes back to, you know, the, the constant division that we have. Like, it's, there's, always, there's always a wedge being, you know, driven between us. So it's kind of hard to kind of draw a conclusion, like, how, how, how are we going to get past the division if, we, if it just keeps getting bigger and bigger? Because it's, it's, it's an ongoing thing. So, I mean, I would, I, the only thing I would, that I would say for that, that would kind of be a solution to this is the, the number one thing, like, we, just, we, would, we would have to kind of, you know, monetize and put emphasis on, like, the, what the media is doing because they're definitely being used as a tool, as a division from the government, and it's coming from both sides. So, and another thing would just be the bipartisanship in government like we need to like both parties need to come together and to fix some of the issues that we're facing as americans it's just that's just it's just a basic kind of like common sense kind of talking point like there shouldn't be any type of you know agenda or narrative against you know one party or trying to do your own thing it's just what's best for american people and they need to figure it out because it's you know it's progressively getting worse so Theo. yeah um so i you said theo right yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. No, you're I good. I heard something else. Anyway, um, with the election and everything, we, I feel like we started from the top trying to work our way down and weed everybody out. Start at the root. Um, we have state, uh, sen- the state Senate and then the House of Delegates for here in Virginia. Um, I've called my delegate um, way back when uh, I was trying to get, get a, uh, an appointment to the United States Military Academy um, to see if he can work something out with a senator or a representative in Congress on my behalf. I called him twice. He picked up the phone both times. So they're approachable. I mean, why not start there? Because they have the ear of our current, our sitting uh, senators for our state and our U.S. congressmen and women um, in Congress. So, I mean, why not start there? I mean, they're going, they're, they're going, they always love hearing um, young adults to younger teenagers, everybody who's going to be replacing them in society. They want to hear your feedback. They want to hear us talk and say, hey, you know, enough is enough. What, what can we do to change this? And are you willing to listen to our concerns and all these things? They, they will set up meetings with you if they could without COVID-19 being a thing. But, you know, I'm just saying they're approachable. If we start there at the root, you know, maybe even further down the route, the mayor, um, mm-hmm. you, you have these folks who are your leadership in your area. It's, it's not like we're disrespectfully stepping over their head, but in a way we're kind of stepping over them and saying, you're not the problem. But then the next thing you know, we figure out, wait, you are the problem. (laughs) You really haven't been doing anything for us this whole time, you know? So if we start there, and I'm not saying all mayors, all state, you know, state delegates (laughs) and senators aren't doing anything for us. You know, I'm just saying some of, sometimes there are, and, why not start there? Why Definitely. not start with the root of the problem? Root That's a good point. Where it starts off. So. That's a very good point. 
Sana? Yeah, I, I always use the comparison of Mothers Against Drunk Driving. So if you feel passionately about something, start at a grassroots movement. And they did such a good job of instilling some legislation against drunk driving. I mean, they were such a pivotal part of all of that legislation. So I think it's not it's not easy to take time out of your day to be involved, but if you can contribute maybe financially to something, um, you know, I contribute to ACLU because I feel like they do a lot of good work with civil liberties and fighting for people and justice. So I try to do that. But I, like Theo said, you can you can write to them. I write to people all the time. I sign petitions all the time. <laughs> if I don't like something, I'm signing a petition about it. So I think there's some small steps you can do. I think people do feel disenfranchised, though. They feel like, you know, their votes aren't counted. They're not feeling heard. I'm feeling optimistic, though. Um, so just have to see. Sounds Keep fighting the fight. Yeah. Definitely. Devin? Um, so there are, so the Constitution was written in place for us to have, to have guides and steps to take people out of office if we don't like them. Thomas Jefferson said that the tree of liberty from time to time needs to be watered by the blood of tyrants. But from a less radical approach, that's why voting and term limits have been put in place on these people. But I honestly think that with these people that have been in office for decades, like honestly, people like generations of people, these people have still been in office. You're they're not going to, it's not going to be easy getting them out. They obviously are on a power trip, either they're on a power trip or they don't have serious people running against them. And that kind of opens up the door for, you know, uh, for disbanding this two party system that we have, because everybody is just so quick to just be like, Oh, well, they're the democratic candidate. So I'm obviously gonna vote for them or the Republican candidate. I'm, I feel more Republican. So I'm going to vote for them. And it's just, you're not allowing some of these people that have new ideas to even get their foot in the door because they aren't supported by these two major parties. So once we, I feel like if we do away with the two party system, then you'll start to see a lot more of these, these changes happening that the people on the ground want instead of what these policymakers think that works best for them or whoever wrote the biggest check at the fundraiser says works for them so yeah um once we get away with once we get away from two parties and start to hear what people have to really say then i think it'll really start to it'll start to pan out in the sounds way good work. so i got one last question for you guys we'll go around the horn and then we'll we'll call today Devin. i know you got early work in, in the morning with your shift as an emt so we'll get you out of here but the question is you win the 2020 election you're the president top three things that you want to do we can start with will um i definitely would pick immigration as my first one um that'd be a really important topic because that's really kind of overlooked and um that was also brought up in the uh, news when as soon as uh trump got in office that was another big thing um i guess a uh, second one would be definitely be, would be police reform you're seeing a lot of that kind of, you know, being polarized in the media. Um, I think that's something that needs to be looked into. Then um, I guess uh, a third thing would just be litigation, like, and, you know, in regards to 
you know, the constituents that are in the state and federal level, like who's in charge, like what needs to be changed and how can we change it or who can we put in to help make a change? So those, those would be my top three. Sounds good. Theo? So I have to say the first one would be um, um, immigration. Uh, second would be um, uh, the right to bear arms, second amendment. Um, the third, and I'm kind of torn between um, uh, the current system we have with uh, term limits and stuff like that versus uh, taxes that th those two I'm kind of bent between choosing one over the other but you know what I'll, I'll choose it taxes we'll, we'll, I'll focus on those three sounds good Sana I would start with taxes um, there's actually in the upcoming year some type of tax increase that's going to affect most of the middle class um, that was written into President Trump's policy so I would overturn a lot of that, start taxing that top 1%. I think we need to see Amazon pay some taxes this year. Um, I think the next would be to overturn or keep an eye on some of those civil liberties that were um, either shipped away or put into place with some executive orders against gay and transgender people. So adoption rights. Um, being able to be in the military, some of that needs to be overturned. And then I think the police reform would be third. Devin? He limited to three. Um, you can go one, two, three, A, three, B, if you want. Got it. All right. Um, so out the gate, um, net, nationwide police reform, start from the ground up uh, basis. Um, second, healthcare just opening up conversations to hear about what people have to think about healthcare and then actually forming a basis, like forming a base of how to rebuild it. Uh, 3A would definitely be um, uh, immigration. Um, and 3B, I would have to say um, pandemic crisis management, because this is for the birds. Yeah, definitely. Well, maybe we can get you guys all on, on again. We can get you to go through your solutions to your top three uh, sort of issues facing facing the U.S. today. But I really appreciate your time. It's been almost two hours that we've got you on, so just kind of flies by. But, again, I appreciate your time, and and hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, things will start start looking up for us in, in the near future. Thanks again, and bye, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.